0: Hi there, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Andrey, and you are listening to Frontend Union Podcast, a show that we made to introduce you to speakers of a conference that has the same name, it's called Frontend Union Conf, but even if you are not going to the conference and you are simply interested in Frontend, I'd say just give this podcast a go. By the way, the conference will take place in Vilnius, Lithuania on August 27th, 2016. We'll have 8 great speakers, nice people around, interesting ideas floating in the air. We'll have all of that. The best news is that you can join in, just go to frontend-union.co and find out how. Actually, just check it out now. I can wait. In this first episode, I'm having a very insightful conversation with Martin Split. Martin is a frontend developer, a speaker, he has lots of talks online about 3D graphics and web frameworks and other good stuff. I definitely encourage you to check it out. We are talking about WebGL, his work and the future of frontend. In the end of the show, you'll hear a question from Martin. If you send us the answer to this question, you'll have a chance to get a free ticket to the conference. So, without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Martin. Uh,
1: Let me close the window for just a second. Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, perfect connection. Terrific, terrific, absolutely terrific. Yeah, that is typically Zurich. Uh, if there's a construction site or anything, they're going to start at like 6 and then make noise the entire early morning. <laughs> so let's start again. Hi, my name is Martin Split. I'm from Zurich. Uh, I am a software developer at Archaeologic. I am mostly a full stack developer. However, I'm focusing on, uh, or my focus area is on front end development in the web, uh, where I work with WebGL and Backbone and uh, View and all these wonderful technologies that we have.
0: (laughs) You also give talks a lot at various conferences and that is true. Yeah, (laughs) mostly you talk about uh, WebGL and uh, you know 3D graphics and things like that. Uh, What's what's your connection to that? Is it just interest?
1: So first things first, um, here in my daily job, I work a lot with WebGL uh, and WebVR so we do 3D visualizations interactive 3D visualizations of real estate in the browser mm. without plugins so that's WebGL um, We also offer a virtual reality mode so that's using WebGL and WebVR. Um, And also, I found... So I'm not only talking about WebGL. uh, I generally try to share my knowledge as much as I can because I believe in the sense of community. And um, I found that a lot of people do not even know what WebGL exactly is or how it works. When you try to research it, then you see a lot of complicated things because most things have been written by people uh, who are already familiar with OpenGL and 3D graphics, but most web developers aren't. So that's why I basically try to educate everyone or help everyone get started with 3D graphics um, without all the barriers of new words and mathematic uh, math and all that. So yeah, that's why that happened. <laughs> A lot of people are concerned with more graphical interact uh, or applications where you use video or where you use uh, procedurally gra- uh, generated graphical content or all sorts of animations. And um, besides CSS, you then have the canvas. And most people barely know the canvas. And if they know the canvas, they know the canvas 2D. But that has certain performance limitations that WebGL solves, but they don't know how to get started with that. So it, they have been really interested just because, or primarily because it gives them more performance, even for 2D graphics. Yeah. Yeah,
0: So yeah, makes sense. So I'm also a front-end developer, but somehow I never dealt with uh, 3D stuff. Uh, could you maybe give some examples of where wh- what are the, the applications, except for obviously games and uh, <laughs> stuff like that?
1: Yeah, okay, so games are the obvious ones. Yeah. Um, but also uh, if you have, for instance, touristic websites or um, you have museums that have uh, historical things that are quite large, for instance, a ship or a building or an entire settlement, and you want to explore it. So basically, if you have spatial data or data where you want to have a full picture, as in you have a possibility to freely move around the object, then 3D makes a lot of sense, especially... Mm. So for educational uh, content, for instance, you mostly or you may not be able to get to Rome to check something out, or you may only have texts and images, but texts and images are very abstract when it comes to how we perceive them. You you may know this, you may see a picture of a space, of a room, of a hotel room, for instance, and you think, wow, this is huge. And then you are in the hotel room and it's actually not that huge. It's just a well-taken photography. Mm-hmm. Um, or the other way around, it looks much, much narrower than it actually is when you, when you arrive. And uh, with 3D, you take away this abstraction because we perceive our surroundings in 3D already. So it's easier for us to actually get a get a feeling for the dimensions and for the feeling of the room and the atmosphere. Um, so that's one thing. So that's touristics, historical uh, buildings and, and places and actual places that you want, like restaurants, all that. Um, then you have medical imaging. So you may want to um, have or share. I mean, the web is, is there to share information without any barriers, right? You click on a link and then you get the content. That's mm. the idea of the web. Uh, we have that for text, we have that for photos, we have that for uh, audio, we have that for videos, but we do not have that for 3D data like MRI scans or uh, skeletal information or any of that kind of stuff. Um, so that's that's a way of, of presenting that. Uh, generally, exhibitions and art uh, benefits from it, but also 2D applications. So for instance, if you do a lot of graphical editing in the web, say you want to re-implement what Photoshop does but without plugins on in the browser, then WebGL is actually great for that as well, as it basically leverages the power of the GPU, which you want for heavy graphic uh, applications. Graphic heavy applications, that's the way I, to put it. Um, and then you have things like video editing, where uh, you can use all sorts of effects on it and use it straight in the canvas so you can save it to an output file. Yeah, all that. So basically Hmm. everything can theoretically benefit from WebGL. It doesn't necessarily have to be 3D, but there's a lot of potential for 3D data like architecture, real estate, tourist uh, information, yeah, education, medical data, yeah, Yeah. art. Yeah, your talk is about...
0: Building interactive, uh, interactive three D worlds. What what are you actually going to talk about?
1: Yes, so um, that's gonna be the very quick introduction into how to get started without having to know too much about it. So there's uh, gonna be a very practical, hands on um, introduction into a library called Three JS so that people can actually get going and actually start creating content on the web we're also gonna probably gonna look into uh, a library called a-frame that allows to basically write html style markup to create 3d content on the web that works without plugins and everything so it's a st- getting started for everyone who wants to get to or wants to start playing around with 3d graphics in the browser
0: as a speaker there is there is always when you prepare a talk there is always something that that it is hard to get right what was the hardest part in preparing this talk
1: ah this kind of stuff so webgl the biggest problem with giving talks on webgl is that it comes with a whole set of its own lingo so there's a lot of terms that no one or let me rephrase that no one that hasn't been working with 3d graphics before or graphics in general before doesn't know, for instance, a vertex or a shader mm. and all that. So I try to break it down and translate it into more useful or more, more common terms, and that's always hard because at some point I have to assume, for instance, coordinate system, right? Yeah. I assume that people know what a coordinate system is, but I can theoretically explain that, but then I, don't, I can't fit it in. So basically I have to make a decision of what to explain and what to leave out. Um, and the terminology is always a tricky one, because on the one hand it's pretty boring to talk about words when you can show graphical things, uh, but on the other hand I believe it makes sense so that everyone understands what we are talking about and remove this unnecessary complex wording. So yeah, that's, that's a tricky bit.
0: Yeah, it's a challenge. What do you think about Vilnius itself? Are you excited to, to go there?
1: I'm super excited because I hear really good things about it. So for instance, um, the the author of uh, Smashing Magazine um, yeah. lives in Vilnius, so, um, and he's like, yeah, it's a brilliant, beautiful city. I'm like, ooh, I want to visit. So I've never been there, so I'm really, really looking forward to it, and um, I'm open for any tips where I should go and what I should have done when I was in Vilnius. So <laughs> I'm looking forward.
0: Let's uh, switch gears a little bit, and uh, I'll just uh, throw questions at you, and uh, you can take your time answering them. Uh, and some of them might be um, might sound random, but there is there is <laughs> sense there somewhere. Okay. <laughs> so let's go with the first one. What would you do if computers were not around?
1: Um, <clears throat> I would probably be. Uh, be in a hospital working with uh sick people okay so As a basically a male nah, no not sure if I'm clever enough for that but uh basically a male nurse <laughs> i i did that for for a um for an internship just to try out what it actually means and how it actually is and it's an amazing job however it is very stressful in the current conditions uh i believe these people get paid far too low yeah for what they are doing yeah or or a teacher that's the alternative yeah
0: yeah interesting choices um yeah <laughs> how do you usually feel just before the talk
1: that depends a lot so the, the best for me is when i do not know that i'm talking and someone goes like a speaker just cancelled me need yeah. someone to give a talk and i'm like yeah i'm going to do it so you have 10 minutes i'm like yeah perfect <laughs> because then, then I only have these ten minutes of anxiety. If I know that I'm going to talk, I have like three hours before the talk. It gets, I I get nervous a lot. Like an anxiety kicks in, yeah. and maybe a couple of days beforehand, I'm like, "Why did they even invite me to speak? There's much more qualified people." Wow. And I'm an imposter, and oh my god, I'm a fraud. I should not be here. Um, and then I give the talk, and basically the moment I'm on stage and my microphone goes live, I'm fine. Yeah. Then I just love it. Yeah. But everything that leads up to that point is very stressful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know that feeling. And what about outside of work? How do you spend your free time?
1: One of the big perks of living in Zurich is you can swim in a public swimming pool or multiple public swimming pools in the river and in the lake. Really? So I, Yes. Wow. So I swim a lot. And actually the cool thing is, or the best thing is, uh, our office is not too far from the river. So during lunch break. Yeah. In summer, when it's really warm, we usually or we oftentimes go for a swim. Oh man. And the best thing is, I live downstream from the office. So basically, when I want to go home in the summer, I just get a dry bag, put my like, leave my laptop at work, um, put my clothes into a dry bag, and i just float down the river home. Wow, this is amazing. That is the super cool. Um, I don't want us to move office. Um, so yeah, um, besides that, uh, play card games or board games with friends, um, I'm a gamer as well. So I, I play computer games every now and then, and I do all sorts of things. Like I wrote a book on Polymer recently. Uh, I'm going to do online courses for a international training provider coming from Germany. And yeah.
0: Yeah. So there is basically not, not that much free time. No. <laughs> what books or talks do you think shaped you as an engineer?
1: <clears throat> oh, there's that's a bunch of, of great things. So I think the very first book that that shaped a lot of, of what I or how I approach programming uh has been the structure and interpretation of computer programs. The classic mm-hmm. probably, highly recommend reading it. Um Another book that helped me in non-technical regards was the human no, sorry, no, the the field guide to understanding human error. And that's surprising because it's not a book for engineers necessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's a book about uh, airline incident or air air traffic incident investigation. Okay. So it's 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 not even not even computer programs or anything. But the fun thing is, I, I figured out a lot of the stuff actually applies to how any engineering projects work so for instance they they uh explain that pilot error is a cheap trick basically because it's not it's it's not that easy to basically look into what what happened that led to it because pilot errors when a when an airplane crashes or something happens that shouldn't happen to it then uh, it's more complex than that there's like organizational pressure there is uh, training possible training issues there is uh, system failures there's also so it is absolutely possible that the pilot did the absolute right thing from his position but it was the wrong thing for reasons outside of his control okay um and that's that's actually important for engineering as well we should not just look at how users fail to operate our systems, but we should look at why they fail operating our systems. And the same is true for us in, inside the organization as well. So if someone breaks production, why? Yeah. And, saying, and saying this person was negligent and, and uh, wasn't taking care of something is usually not true. This person did the thing that they believed is correct based on assumptions that were incorrect. And it's important to find the assumptions that were made and fix them or make them correct to avoid future repetitions. Because if you just fire people who did things wrong, then you're never gonna get out of this issue.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense.
1: So that book was very important to me as well. Then there's another one called Don't Make Me Think, mm-hmm. uh, which is from Steve Krug, I believe. Um, and it's about uh, yeah, UX. user experience. Yeah. yeah, exactly, user experience, and was very, very interesting as well because a lot of time it's all obvious actually, but you don't really understand it until you, you hear someone talk about it. And it also gives a great introduction into why and how user tests uh or usability studies make sense. Mm-hmm. So that was amazing as well. That also shaped a lot of me. And then obviously Bob Martin's uh Clean Code. Clean code, yeah. Clean code. Yeah. yeah. That's that's also a book that that has helped me write better code. Yeah.
0: Wow, that's I, I really didn't expect the one about errors. I should check it out for sure.
1: Definitely. I highly recommend not reading it while being on a plane.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah.
1: It, it makes people next to you very nervous. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and then do you have any books or talks that you recommend to your teammates or are they the same?
1: Oh, no, they're not necessarily the same. So first things first, I just forgot one very important talk, which is, ah, yeah, the evolution of a developer. That's a great talk because it it basically focuses on how people start getting into programming. And she's a, she's been a, a robot engineer and then switched to JavaScript programming and is super honest about how she started, like typing in Node and then seeing a blinking curse and going, now what? Mm-hmm. And um, so basically it... it reminds us of how we started and why we should be supportive and helpful to beginners rather than snarky and not nice yeah also also that programming languages are more than just the language and its features it's the community around it that actually helps people or empowers or enfeebles people basically so um so that's one talk that I highly recommend then there is um for my team colleagues, as we are working a lot with JavaScript, I highly recommend uh, JavaScript, the good parts. That's that's kind of a must, really. Um, then there is uh, a brilliant talk, uh, rendering HTML via WebGL. Mm-hmm. While the idea of rendering HTML via WebGL is a bad idea, it's, it's still a pretty great talk. Um, also, Steve Witten's making WebGL dance. That gives a very good introduction into how WebGL kind of kind of works and what it does and how it, how it does the thing mm-hmm. that it does. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the talks I absolutely and highly, highly recommend. Yeah.
0: What do you think in general about where we are going in terms of web development and frameworks mm. and libraries and what's, you know, what native <coughs> APIs are now available? Like what, how do you see the future? Let's just say in like in five years.
1: That's that's going to be very interesting. Um, so, one thing that you can see across all frameworks, no matter what framework you're looking at, is that they are uh, they they have the philosophy of components. Yeah. So whatever it is, Angular, Polymer, Vue, Aurelia, React, all of them, Ember, all of them think of of uh, components. So we're going to see more or less. Uh, a unification of the way we architecture and we think of our frontend applications I guess Uh, and with web components that is coming in the browser as well so the web component standards are very very interesting in my opinion because they blur this line so um, up until now whenever you needed a new UI element and the browser didn't provide it you had to more or less hack it together and it wasn't isolated and it wasn't sort of Looking and behaving like an existing or an, or an actual um, HTML element, but with web components, we now get the chance to basically make our own HTML elements, which is great. Then we have the entire discussion around progressive web apps. That is amazing because with push notifications and proper offline functionality, I mean, we had AppCache, but it was a bit of a shit show. Um, Service Worker does this much, much better in a much nicer way. So with service workers and push notifications and offline uh, capabilities and storage capabilities, we get most of what apps have been needed for, and I think this is great. Uh, also, the way that progressive web apps integrate into the mobile operating systems is a great thing. So I I guess we are we are seeing a pickup in what web applications. Are perceived as because they, they could do most of the things more or less beforehand but now they can they get the last missing pieces basically to to compete compete is the wrong word but basically to to give the developer more or less the same functionality and possibilities as as natives apps do for things like crypto uh, web payments implemented in apple so apple is actually spearheading that one apparently So we get a a unified API to to do payments with multiple providers like PayPal and Braintree and all that, Apple Pay. Um, That's an interesting one. WebVR is coming, which brings virtual reality sensor readouts to the browser, which is amazing. And we use it, and it's cool. So yeah, I guess guess we're going to see more of standardized componentization, probably more interoperability between the frameworks using components. Uh, we're going to see more, more power in web applications, closing the gap to native applications. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the two most important changes that we're going to see in the next couple of years. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree. And WebVR stuff is super exciting. Yeah,
1: indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Virtual reality in general is very exciting. Yeah, It is. It is.
0: We are slowly moving to the final part of the show, the question that will get you a free ticket to Frontend Union Conf. So, I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Tell Tell me your question.
1: So, the question to the audience is, what techniques are available to improve rendering performance for complex scenes, so scenes with a lot of objects, with a lot of the same object multiple times like a lot of times like forest for instance um, to make lighting look better to make textures look great yet make them small so what techniques does the audience know to improve 3d graphics performance for complex 3d applications or complex 3d scenes
0: can you give an example of such a scene
1: so for instance imagine you have a hmm say you have a building a a little house in the woods in the mountains and there's the sun shining on the mountains and on the forest and it's it's a forest full of trees it's the same kind of tree but it's a lot of trees obviously around it as it's a forest and maybe then there's um the house also has some lights inside that do not move like maybe uh, maybe not a fireplace but maybe some lamps and then there might be the, the general shine of a fire outside how to make this work really well and perform really well, for instance on mobile.
0: Uh, will people uh, be able to do that after your talk?
1: Not sure if it's a, if it's possible. <laughs> my talk I'm gonna cut on most of these topics as well, so there is gonna be a run through uh, through some of these techniques. But I'm obviously not gonna yeah. be able to dive really really deep into this. But yes, we're gonna have a have a conversation about this too. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. Great. Please send your answers to us on Twitter we are at frontendunion with an underscore. You'll get a chance to win a free ticket to Frontend Union Conf that will take place in Vilnius on August 27th. Oh, and don't forget to send some tips to Martin about what he can do in Vilnius.
1: The easiest way to reach me is on Twitter. So if you search for my name, uh, you should find me as far as I'm aware I'm the only Martin split on Twitter. Uh, alternatively it's geekonaut like geek but with three instead of e because that one is taken already or my last name at archaeologic.com that's my business email as well
0: thank you Martin it's been so much fun and see you in Vilnius
1: thank you very much I'm super excited to be there and um, thank you so much for inviting me and thank you so much for recording this, this episode <laughs> it's super awesome